FinTech shows us that we don't have to fit a certain traditional box to be worthy of financial services and tools. And when approximately 63 million Americans are either unbanked or underbanked, um, yeah, that's, that's a problem. And as we all know, women and people of color were the ones disproportionately impacted by, negatively disproportionately impacted by, by the pandemic. Yet, we have more billionaires than ever before. So um, if, you know, if someone can just hold uh, FinTech accountable, and if that, that, that's me, then, uh, you know, so, so be it. It is what I've decided to do. Um, that's important. You're listening to Moneda Moves, a podcast where we cover the intersection of money and cultura. I'm your host, Leon Alfaro, a Latina award-winning journalist, producer, and strategist. On this podcast, I will highlight stories illustrating Latinx relationships with money, our contributions, and role in the American economy. Here, we'll increase transparency around the netto issues and achievements of our community, as well as that of our POC peers, to inspire you to pursue your own financial poder. Join me bi-weekly as we cover stories with our community's front and center alongside dinero experts, entrepreneurs, and innovators. No te lo quieres perder. The stories we tell matter. I believe that to my core. It's why Moneda Moves exists, as a space to host more stories about the intersection of Latinos, underrepresented communities, and money. So you can imagine how excited I was to interview a trailblazer creating inclusive reporting around fintech, documenting diverse voices, and leading the way herself. Nicole Casperson, creator and founder of What the Fintech. Straight out of New York, she releases her newsletter twice a week all about founders and fintech trends and how that affects you, the end user. Why does fintech matter, you may ask? Well, it's reinventing the way you do your banking, investing, preparing for retirement, all powered by technology. It's also a huge opportunity to get the relationship with underrepresented communities right, to increase access and better deliver these banking services to consumers. Casperson shares how she thinks fintech can impact our future, and we talk about how to increase representation in media. Enjoy the interview. This was a good one. Hello, hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Moneda Moves. Today, we are talking with Nicole Casperson, creator and founder of What the Fintech. Am I pronouncing it right, Nicole? Yes. What yes, pronouncing it right. I A lot of people it. think it's a WTF Fintech, which is fine. I kind of let people choose their own flavor, whatever they like. <laughs> I love it. And, and it's a bi-weekly uh, newsletter. Sometimes I feel like I get it more often because there's just so much good information in there all about what's latest in the world of fintech. And as we know, the last two years have shaken up our worlds and fintech is it's demanding that it be more inclusive. And so Nicole's keeping pulse of all of the founders across the country that are leading this charge and making it more diverse, more inclusive. Um, and you're a creator at Workweek as well. So welcome to the show. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. I'm honored to be here. And I want to get to know you, Nicole, like pre-work week, pre-what the fintech, before you started, your lovely newsletter started coming in my inbox every other week. Talk to us about your journey here and how you discovered your reporting style. Yeah, I love this question. And you're catching me at a fun time because I just went to Austin, Texas. I live in, in Brooklyn and New York, but I just went to Austin, Texas last week 
for a work retreat with my Workweek team, the, the media company that powers what the fintech. Um, so you're catching me on the heels of that. <laughs> and we took these strength assessment uh, and like personality tests. And I ended up finding out that I'm someone that has a heavy influencing character, which is probably good for my job and so and very fitting for what I do. So what I learned from that is that I have this conviction to you know, leave the world a better place. And you combine that with someone who is just inherently curious and wants to take the time to absorb a lot of information before I make decisions and assumptions about the world then you kind of have this natural born storyteller. Uh, plus I love music and the lyrics have always been what attracted me to music. So, you know, I think that I just ended up naturally finding the fit with journalism with like, how can I help people feel seen in, and heard in a way that I've always wanted to be seen and heard. And yeah, and, and, and that way, like I've always looked to, to musicians and artists, right? People do that in life to, to make you feel that way. So it's just cool to be able to do that, but in the world of, of finance, so in, in fintech. Um, but yeah, you fast forward to like a major in journalism, a master's degree in mass communications, and I'm landing my first job in Dallas covering the housing and mortgage market 10 years after the Great Recession. Then a publication in New York covering auto finance came calling, packed my bags, I moved. I landed another job covering fintech for the wealth management industry for investment news. And then right after all of those years of experience, the founders of Workweek slid into my DMs, quite literally, to show me how I could take my passions and skills to really make a bigger impact and build my own brand on my own terms. So. Along the way, when you cover finance and B2B media for that long in many different niches, you really come to learn that, one, there's not a lot of women in both the reporting side and the industry side. And then you also learn that these like old dog traditional media companies have no real intention of changing. I mean, some of them do, and some of them are doing a great a, a greater, better job at changing, but they're they're not as interested in innovation or they're they're more interested in just the status quo. So um, I just learned how to have a real knack for taking like bigger picture and culturally relevant content and helping these niche finance and fintech industries understand why they matter to them as professionals. Like, why should a fintech professional care about what's happening in Ukraine? Because they're a country leading the way in female fintech leadership and uh, have pledged to enable financial inclusion. You know, like that's I, I remember kind of being like being told like, oh, well, why would you cover Ukraine? when it was happening. And I was mm -hmm. like, kind of watch me. So that's been kind of my coverage style this this whole way is just showing these industries that what's happening in the world matters to us. You mentioned like this keyword context, which I feel like has been missing for so long from our industry. And I say ours because I was full-time reporter in New York also for three and a half years. Oh, nice. And we see all these headlines, but we sometimes miss that connection. And for the layman that's running around, not in the news industry, they don't draw these connections and neither do some of our most powerful people. I mean, we're doing this interview during the time when one of the most powerful conferences with some of the biggest leaders is taking place in Davos and Switzerland. And, you know, this is the kind of context that would be very relevant to these very powerful and influential people. So I think it's amazing that you're not making culture 
And with Moneda Moves, we are uh, focused on focusing on Latinos because of the lack of representation that has existed for so long. But I like the integration that's happening here, the connection mm -hmm. of the influence and all of the news around these influencers, powerful leaders, and how culture matters. Culture is relevant, mm -hmm. um, but also increasing that representation and how it all threads and goes together. So I, I really do like your mission statement that I highly resonate with, which is increasing diversity in business storytelling at large. Um, can you talk us through a little bit more about how you accomplish it through what the fintech? Uh, just talk to us about the pitch behind this newsletter and its origins. You, you mentioned that Workweek actually approached you. So interestingly the the work week founders i think when they first pitched me they had no idea i was going to go in this direction but that's what's kind of cool about when you join like a new media company like work week that is very much uh creator centric so you know i you know i go on something like nasdaq trade talks and i'm you know the words work week never came out of my mouth right it was all about what the fintech and what i built and i was giving myself credit because i i did come up with the name but i pitched them kind of something very different than what they originally thought. I think they thought I was just going to cover news and that was important to me. But so is covering news through the lens of diverse perspectives. And that's the key here. So one time uh, an article written about me, which I was incredibly flattered, uh, said that um, what the fintech and, and me as a journalist is to traditional media, what fintech is to traditional finance. And while traditional media often looks at diversity as a separate conversation or a sidebar initiative, right? Like literally other media companies that I've worked for have like diversity, equity, and inclusion events. And it's like, that's really, really cool. You know what you could do? You could like have a regular event where majority or at least 50% of your people are women and people of color and different kinds of people, you know? And so, but that's still not happening. But anyway, so that's that was kind of the, the thesis and my mission statement is, you know, fintech needs to change from within to truly deliver on its promise of inclusivity. And at the end of the day, like if we're not fintech is so exciting because there the technology is mature enough. There's enough to, for everyone to have a slice of the pie, the user, end user, the, the tech provider, the, the founder building, the, the infrastructure, all of it. Everyone involved in building a fintech company can can be both people-centric and profit-centric. Um, and, and that's kind of like the beauty of like the modern world and where we're at today and all, all the, the new things. But we have to like think differently to be able to make that happen, right? We have to be intentional. And I think, you know, far too often people don't always think that way. So I am fine being the one holding the industry a little accountable to, uh, to, to make sure that they have that diverse audience uh, perspective in mind. Because unless there's more women and people of color in the rooms making decisions on how your product is built or how you're gonna go to market with it and all of that different stuff, then in my opinion, you're, you have no longevity in the space. Yeah, wholeheartedly agree. And also just because so many people are that are potential clients and are interested right now are some of the people with that aren't currently represented in these spaces. And I'm curious, when we look at fintech versus perhaps like financial services, which has been around for far longer, like, do you think there is a benefit there? Like, how would this conversation look differently if it was like a financial services newsletter and it covered like beyond fintech and 
and maybe like companies that aren't haven't like or do you think that financial services are all fintech i guess like what i'm saying is like within older industry you know do you have different challenges yeah i mean financial services like every like think about it all mo- like most of the big banks are are scooping up fintech companies they're they're acquiring them um, JP Morgan Chase is, is a big one on that. And I think uh, it was, uh, I believe it was UBS that just acquired a robo uh, Wealthfront. And if I'm wrong there, my memory is bad, but I'm pretty sure I'm right anyways. Um, but I, you know, they're, they're picking them up. I think that it's tough. I think that when it comes to like maybe more community banks and more regional banks, there is more of like a partnership situation with, with FinTech companies. But when it comes to maybe some of like the the larger uh, banks, it's those those guys don't have any real incentive to be more people centric and to be more inclusive because it the revenue isn't there. And when and I say that only because they have a legacy system that's completely already been built out. Right. It was built out with the with the intention of making the rich richer and keeping wealth in the hands of, it's basic economics, right? I learned this from Anna Stone, Anna Stone during my, um, my event, Fintech is Femme, and she talked about how, you know, uh, uh, basic economics in school teaches you that capital should flow, literally should flow into the hands where it will generate more capital. And it's like, okay, like if we keep thinking in that way, then it's never going to actually flow into the hands of people who need it, who, who, you know, struggle or who, or whatever. Right. So like the fact that, you know, kids in school are taught that's how economics works is like not, is not ideal. And so anyways, these, these, uh, traditional financial institutions have, you know, little incentive to, to change because they're not going to make enough money per customer. Um, and it's too, it's, it's when, if it's inclusive, and they they can't just change their infrastructure. So yeah, they can kind of like, uh, or they don't want to, right? So yeah, they can kind of like pick up fintechs here and there, but I do think that uh, we're moving into a place where fintech is like, especially like banking apps and challenger banks and the neo banks, they're crazy niche, right? And they're like, just like a content creator, you know? And you right. can kind of like pick the one you like the most whose story resonates with you is it current like is it you know whatever is it like new bank is it whatever like whatever bank there's like fair bank which is literally like specific to like halal investing like there's so many different niches out there you could just like pick who resonates with you most like i bank with elevest because i mean that's so on brand right <laughs> like um mm-hmm. but anyways so that's where i kind of see it going i think financial traditional financial services hopes that they can you know, keep up. Sure. Like the old dogs are always going to have like, you know, they're going to have the capital, they're going to have the scale and that's not necessarily going to change anytime soon, but fintech companies and the challenger banks are definitely formidable competitors. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that's really, really helpful context because, you know, a lot of our world is still made with these traditional financial services banks. And especially when you look at, so we covered, on, on this podcast, a lot of the Latino population, a lot mm-hmm. of first gen folks or even second generation, just first movers in the economy in general are dealing with parents that haven't made that leap into the fintech space. So a lot of people are still dealing with these traditional financial services to, to hear that. Um, it means that either financial services has got to change, but it sounds like they might not change soon enough 
fintech has got to lean in mm-hmm. and help pull some of these people that are still literally on the other end of the digital divide. Like we do talk, sometimes talk in terms I find in the U.S. Uh, about this country as like we're so developed, we're so far ahead. But in this same country, we have people who who in certain communities predominantly access the internet via their phone. And so fintech mm-hmm. plays a huge role in that and reaching these people in um, – and, and having some of the onus on them to help carry people into this new era and help them be financially educated while they do so. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, you hit on a good point, right? It, it, when it comes to, to mobile usage. Uh, my newsletter today is uh, doing, I'm, I did a deep dive into uh, Vietnam and FinTech, um, largely because I got inspired after doing a deep dive into the Philippines and FinTech. Um, because that's 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 my heritage, but um, you know it's AAPI month. I, I wanted to highlight more of the the Asian Pacific uh, regions and and what's going on there in the fintech space. Interestingly, I saw a tweet this morning that was like, "Too many of your fintech newsletters are so America centric," and I was like, "Well, how serendipitous that I wrote about something else for today's newsletter <laughs> when someone was complaining about this." Um, anyways, but yeah, like I don't. You're right. I think we don't necessarily look. Uh, not everyone is always kind of looking to, you know, our, our neighbors across the globe to understand, you know, how can we maybe change even from within or um, be more inclusive in, in that aspect? Because, you know, don't sleep on international fintechs, right? eToro, massive, right? They started out in Israel and, you know, now they're making their mark on, you know, the US, the UK, Australia. So, you know, we, we can't be so, we can't just be so America centric, especially when, uh, you know, the, the, there's so much else happening in the rest of the world. Uh, I mean, Vietnam is the one of the is the most uh, emerging, attractive emerging market in fintech. It has what its population is 64 million people, and it's not it, its population is 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 more than 100 million. But it's but 64 million of those people use a phone, a mobile phone, right? So it's like how and who's who's like best suited to penetrate that market via the like, accessing internet via the mobile phone, phone to your point that's fintech companies like that's because because they have the design right and they have the agility and they can build new um new products and, and new uxs where like you know a uh the i don't know my i've seen those traditional banking apps they kind of suck <laughs> <laughs> I they're not something cute. new nicole Viet- <laughs> vietnam you're saying as as like emerging for fintech Vietnam is uh, some research I found that Vietnam is the number one emerging market for the fintech space. And then the Philippines is the second. So that was exciting. And it's like, what a better time. I mean, I highlight uh, diverse perspectives and and, uh, different sectors of of fintech all the time. But it's fun to play with the uh, AAPI Heritage Month. Let's do let's do this now. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. And I think you mentioned something great, which is just learning from people outside of the U.S. We're so egocentric. We are in terms of our coverage. And we really think that we're the best. But it's like, listen, we have problems within this country that we can really benefit from just looking to global culture and seeing what else people are doing. Latham has one of the biggest adoption rates for cryptocurrency, yeah. and it's because of their own onset of issues. But there's a lot we can learn from that. So, right. I mean, Shout Vietnam, 40 over what was 41% of uh, Vietnamese people own cryptocurrency. That's more than Brazil, wow. 
India, Norway, that's like more than so many other countries that are way bigger than Vietnam. So yeah, we, we like have to pay attention and yeah, I'm sure some people won't, won't love like uh, me saying it, but hey, it's, it's just the truth. We get, we get very um, uh, too, too hyper-focused on what's going on here in the States and we forget, you're right, Latam, shoot. It's like, I put that in my crystal ball at the end of the year that like Latam was gonna be one of the biggest um, you know, markets uh, for the space as well. So, and that's why traveling is so important, right? Literally, is like so that you can right. go and see other cultures and then come back and be like, how can I be better and different and in my own culture? And, and maybe you have that journalist mind. Apply something I learned. Mind. You want to pick it up. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, no, that's amazing. And Nicole, I should congratulate you because I recently read you crossed 22,000 subscribers. And by this point, I don't know if you've already blown past that metric <laughs> uh, on your yeah. newsletter. Yeah, it's um, so congrats. Is that your current number? It is uh, 24,700 wow. something now. Girl, a whole 2K <laughs> since I last read up. Um, but one of the points uh, that what you really drive home is how fintech is bringing equity to the financial system. You talked a little bit about it earlier in this podcast. For the layman, what does that mean? Um, and again, I know we touched on it a little bit, but for anybody like my mom, my cousin, my friend, Mm-hmm. How does that trickle down to the user? Yeah, absolutely. Fintech can definitely deliver on its promise of inclusivity. And so my content is very hyper-focused on speaking to that uh, fintech leadership, right? Fintech operators, people that work in the space. And, you know, for for you know, your mom or your abuela or whoever's listening, you know, they they should know that if, leadership can understand kind of different perspectives in the space, then maybe we have kind of a real shot at, uh, at fintech being different than traditional finance. So if, you know, if, if only, uh, white men are in the room making decisions, if they're the only CEOs, if they're the, and they're still the majority of CEOs, right? It's like 12% of fintech female founders and CEOs. So, uh, is, and that's it. That's like a, that's a sad number. And 30% of women in the fintech workforce, like these are not great, (laughs) great numbers. Um, so, so if we can get content in front of them, like what, what the fintech does to say, Hey, like this is what's going on. What are you going to do to change it? Uh, otherwise you guys are going to look just like Wells Fargo. You're going to look just like bank of America. You're going to look just like all of them. And you know, I think that there's a, the generate like the especially the the Gen Z generation, but uh, you know, women and people of color have been because they've been excluded from that that narrative in in traditional finance. Like, why would I want to trust that? At the end of the day, they end up just having to to be a part of it because they have no other choice, or they just get excluded in, entirely and become you know unbanked and un- underserved. So um, that is what I would say to like a consumer that wants to understand why my content makes sense is, and is important. Uh, FinTech just has the highest chance of, you know, actually being, like I said before, that, that people centric and profit centric business model, because it quite literally has the ability to, to build infrastructure with that intention in mind. Whereas traditional finance is kind of already like they're done, right? They've good luck trying to rebuild a, a big bank. Like they're not going to do that. They're like, yeah. So, um, everything a fintech operator does really trickles down to the end user 
I think today a, a user you know can can feel it. They can see it in the UX. They can see it in in the imagery you use and in the in the colors and the. Um, so it's really that that product design is, is super important. That intentionality. Um, ensuring that decision makers in the room are representative of your diverse audience and perspective. So that is that is key. And it starts with, I mean, it starts at the bottom and it's like top, top, bottom, bottom up. It has to be entirely. But when you have like an early stage fintech founder that can make that, you know, grow those roots and make it happen. And that's really exciting. And I'm happy to write about them. I'm happy to be the bridge to, that helps get them their first round of funding or gets them their f- first quote in a big publication um so whatever it is and and that's happened i've i've seen people get jobs because of my newsletter i've seen people get you know uh uh pre-seed funding because of my newsletter i've that's cool happy to do that happy to help yeah yeah no and i think you 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 just said something that like truly i believe to my core which is that just storytelling matters and the mm-hmm. stories that we tell ourselves about who we are as a society, about certain communities and their potential and who they are, they become true. You will them to be true um, to a certain degree. Of course, all of that comes with merit and all the work that you put in. But um, it seems like the narrative is, is changing here. Um, how we're viewing the potential of these different untapped communities in the US. And it's all very exciting, but... Um, in, in the background of my head, there's also the fact that we're stepping, um, we're still in the middle of the pandemic, but right. we're, we're trying to step out of it, right? A lot of people are very financially vulnerable at this time. What kind of um, warnings might you offer for these fintech companies that are trying to offer solutions to yeah. very financially vulnerable people? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, fintech shows us that we don't have to fit a certain traditional box to be worthy of financial services and tools. And when approximately 63 million Americans are either unbanked or underbanked, um, yeah, that's, that's a problem. And as we all know, women and people of color were the ones disproportionately impacted by, negatively disproportionately impacted by, by the pandemic. Yet we have more billionaires than ever before. So um, if you know, if someone can just hold uh, fintech accountable, and if that that that's me, then uh, you know, so so be it. It is what I've decided to do. Um, that's important. So think about it. I I think of you know something Kara Swisher said when she was talking about like uh, social media and like the big tech giants. She was uh, at an interview saying how you know when a series of white men create something, it's so clear that they didn't understand bullying or things like predatory lending. I'm saying this now, she didn't say this part, but like, so I'm, I'm going to FinTech, right? Financial services, predatory lending, how credit cards impact people of color worse than anyone else, how debt impacts people of color and women worse than any, anything else. So it's like, when you haven't experienced these things, of course you're not gonna build anything to protect people from it. So like, honestly, people that, like the, to the people that did create these like harmful things in financial services, like, why like why didn't you think of like the world of women people of color in marginalized communities um and so that's my like main argument right for for you know we need that diverse workforce across gender age ethnicity neurodiversity you know there there needs to be that diverse group of people who can say hey bullying is harmful uh hey you know what maybe maybe we shouldn't pigeonhole people into credit card debt um you know if if it was a more diverse group of people i think that they would create better products. I like, I truly believe that. 
So um, that is, I guess, what I would say. I think that like any relationship or anything that you put yourself into, whether it be the the fintech company or challenger bank or neobank you wanna, or investment um, uh, app that you wanna use, like why don't you try to look at their leadership? Why don't you try to look up their values? Uh, that's not something a consumer really wants, <laughs> typically does. Um, but try it out, right? Like read about them, read about them, what's going on. Uh, that's like duped me before. I almost wrote about a fintech company and then like I read, I had to like, that I hadn't heard before. I had to like Google it, whatever, whatever. And, and I was like, ooh, this would have been bad. <laughs> this would have been not on brand um, because they kind of like came at me solid pitch, right? Like PR person, like solid pitch, right? Hey, we hired like a woman as our CTO or something. And, hmm. and I was like, dope. And then I looked them up and I was like, their CEO has like all these allegations for like poor, like, uh, you know, treating, treating women poorly and stuff. And I was like, mm, your virtue signaling won't work on me. So that's yeah, what I would you say. Dig, you dig a little deeper, but yeah. no, you're right. I, I do. And while consumers don't usually do that research, I, I'm hopeful that we are, and I'm going to borrow from somebody else that I interviewed. It's the founder of this company called Kids of Immigrants. He does a lot of branding around just empowerment for children of immigrants. Oh, that's awesome. And he said, I think this is the rise of the conscious consumer era. People are mm -hmm. not so easily duped. And I'm really hopeful in that messaging. I'm like here for it. I love that. I love that. Especially like, and yes to that entire concept. I, I love that because, you know, it's funny. I, I often get asked like, what's my first, maybe my first or favorite or whatever money memory or like when I first started thinking about money and it's like, I have a mom that's an immigrant from the Philippines. Let me tell you, I've been hearing about money a long time and I've been hearing about it like save, save, save. I was lucky though. I had a mom who like opened up accounts for me early so I could start building a, cre a credit early. Um, that's super fortunate for me. So like <laughs> now I guess I'm thankful she was so obsessed with like finance, but even to this day, right? Like I have to kind of break down all sorts of norms with her to understand like, um, you know, why my finances are they way, the way that they are or why I, you know, don't um, maybe prioritize like just having a massive like savings uh, as, as much as possible, right? Like, no mom, I mm -hmm. wanna invest or maybe like I have a little crypto or like, you know, I wanna invest in like ESG and, and um, because people are using finance now as a form of identity. And let me actually like, I guess almost flip that a little bit. And someone on one of my podcasts uh, said this to me and uh, Shruti Joshi from Facet Wealth and she's just awesome. She she was like, you know, for, for the longest time, your finances were what, uh, kind of controlled your identity, right? Like it put you in whatever box, like, okay, so like you're in this community cause you don't have enough money or you're, you know, considered this or you're underbanked or you're like whatever. And so now, and like putting you in these boxes that frankly, like don't end up being much of your choice. And then you just end up living that way. But when you have the right knowledge of money and when you have, uh, maybe, you know, the right tools at, at your fingertips, like more people are able to do so now, then your identity is you and then money can just like be an extension of that. So like if I'm really into climate change, how am I going to use my money to build wealth for me and and, and help climate change uh, or help more women or do this or that, right? So that's what's kind of cool about 
the consumer being so involved is, um, you know, I think all these fintech companies are not, even if you're B2B, you're like inherently B2B2C now. Uh, and even my content's a little that. like that, you know? That is, you just blew my mind because <laughs> that is definitely the direction that we're moving when we talk about like the blockchain and Web3, right? Where mm-hmm. you can look up someone's mm-hmm. ledger and say, okay, you say you're about this, but are you really? Like, where have you right? been? Where have you spent your money? Who have you invested in? A literal, like, put your money where your mouth is, or in that, like, that saying? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> no, that is, yeah, that is absolutely it. Versus having financial um, terms, and especially for disenfranchised communities, imposed on us with the education we can now have the power to take to take that back and and decide to say what we want to call ourselves like what kind of people are we mm-hmm. what are we yeah. about so i think yes. that is such a powerful message um and i do want to address one more thing which is yes. the fact that you that you talk about also the need for diversity right in in the fintech workforce because that's exactly the kind of products that will come on the output that will mm-hmm. serve mm-hmm. the clientele which is very diverse um, and so you shared this on Twitter, and you probably said this earlier in the pod. <laughs> women represent only 30% of the fintech workforce. 12% of fintech founders are women, and women founders receive only 2% of venture capital. Um, what needs to happen in order yeah. to change these numbers? Not just in terms of like, oh, well, we'll, we'll just produce more companies, but like structurally, <laughs> no, what needs to happen? Yeah, I mean, structurally, uh, uh, venture capital is is a big start obviously, right? So it's funny because there's like no real shortage. There's a ton of uh, female fintech founders. The ones that aren't making it in that in that percentage, right, are the ones that maybe aren't being considered because they don't have any backing. Maybe they haven't been able to like launch because of this, obviously. Um, so VC is a, is a really important place to start. And you helped connect me with um, uh, Latitude Ventures, right? And and that was awesome just to see like the hyper focus on on the on the, you know, Latin community and and uplifting um, founders in that space. Right. Like same thing, same thing for women, same thing for Asian Americans, same thing for 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 black Americans, for anyone, for anyone in the space. So uh, that that deserves to be represented more. So I think VC like you got the money, you have like the money needs to be there. And like my literal piece of feedback for that is like, if you are a VC and let's say this is something you aren't necessarily thinking about, let's, let's start with education and, uh, and do that. And then literally write the check, like write the check. It's so funny. People are like, what is the secret? The secret is to write the check. Like (laughs) believe, believe in someone, believe in someone different, uh, believe in being people centric believe in, in in diversity and so if 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 and the good news is is that I feel like I've interviewed a, a, a good amount of VC uh, folks in VC who have that very much in mind and who are uh, leaning more because they see that's where the trend is going right they're leaning more towards a value uh, centric founder than necessarily someone who comes through and is just like I can make the most ROI on this and pay you back and la di da so um because I think also VCs are getting a little bit more into that partnership uh, arena. So I think that's cool. My interview with NASDAQ yesterday was was really awesome. I mean, uh, uh, Brandis uh, DeSimone is who I, I interviewed, and she heads up, you know, like data and, and um, 
like technology data and all this different stuff. So she's literally like on a mission to help find more, you know, diverse leaders in the fintech space and like help them uh, understand different ways of using data and like how NASDAQ can be a good partner to them so that like throughout the whole life cycle and create almost like a flywheel of, of uh, different things from like, you know, starting to, to maybe a potential IPO and like how cool is that? to have, you know, an older institution like NASDAQ and, and folks working in it uh, think that way. And I'm, maybe I'm thinking it's because, you know, their they're CEO and they're, is, is, a, is a woman, right? So, which that's not always the case. That just because a CEO is a woman doesn't necessarily mean it'll be good. But in this case, it seems like it's working, right? So um, anyways, that's, that's, that's the main thing. Obviously, storytelling is a, is a massive aspect as well. Um, you know, when I worked in traditional media, something that always bothered me was like, you have to have, and just the places I've worked, obviously, it might be like this other places I've heard, but um, there's certain caps on the kinds of uh, companies you can write about. And if there's, and this is why I say VC first, because if there's certain caps to, oh, they have to have X amount of funding. Oh, they need to have a hundred, million dollars in AUM at least, or they have to whatever. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So if, if, if I'm only allowed to write about this, this, this circle of companies in FinTech in wealth management and investment and whatever in these B2B markets where they have only a certain amount of funding and only 2% of those is women, then those stories are not getting told. There's a lot of missed stories out there. And so what's cool about what the fintech and what I, I get to do now is like, I don't care. Like, I don't care. You c I don't care how much funding you have. Um, what I care about is getting to know you. I care about um, using my you know instincts to hopefully tell that you're a good person, um, relaying that to uh, and that you're mission driven in this space and, and relaying that to to my audience and that, uh, you know, your product is awesome. Right. That I see something that has uh, major potential and. Uh, you know, I, I have the ability to, to be an angel investor with, with Workweek. We have a venture fund. So um, that's something really cool. I'm always looking out for cool fintech companies I could maybe write a check for myself and put my money where my mouth is. Love so, it. yeah. Very cool. Yeah, no. And, and you're totally right. I'd, I have been in environments before where companies needed a certain amount of money in order to write about them. But yeah, it's like so if we light. go off the, uh, the foundation that you set up for us earlier and we're economics, traditional economics, believes that this money should stay in the hands of the already wealthy, then we're yeah. really just feeding this cycle that already isn't working to represent an equitable and diverse pool of founders. So completely support your mission, Nicole. Thanks so much for coming on the podcast. I'd like to end with one question for everyone that comes on, which is to get a little personal and to share a little bit more about what your biggest money learning has been. Ooh, uh, it's such a good one. Probably that credit cards are evil. Um, <laughs> yeah, uh, that actually is definitely maybe one of them. But I guess that, you know, there isn't any, there's so many different kind of personal finance, I think like influencers and creators out there. And honestly, a lot of them are so awesome. Uh, I follow I follow people like you know Dory Dunlap, Tori, hi Tori Dunlap, um, and and I love I love what they're doing and, and the empowerment. Um, uh, but I also think that you know it's it's not not just it's not just a linear path. 
Uh, right. My, my immigrant mom will, like I said before, right. She's like, just save, save, save. Like my parents never taught me about investing cause they thought I never should touch it. Right. Uh, and I think you should, once you, you know, do some, some education and you find a place that you're comfortable doing it, you know, don't just jump into Robin hood cause everyone else is, I think you should never touch Robin hood. And that's just my opinion. Um, there's a lot of other better apps out there that won't use your data against you like Facebook. Anyways, so that's my spicy take there. Um, so yeah, I think that no path is linear. You can uh, kind of manage your your finances in the way that makes sense for you. Now there's like so many different apps out there. And so whatever niche is you, like find the one that resonates with you. And and that uh, can be kind of your, your, your gateway to, to managing your finances and understanding and having knowledge of money be your be a superpower instead of something that uh, is so hindering to you. So that's probably my my biggest lesson. I think it's so fun that content is becoming such a massive part of, of finance and, and fintech. So there's a lot of content out there. Uh, you know, uh, Platforms like mine help around the noise a little bit. More personal finance ones help consumers. Uh, so find the one that makes sense for you. Who resonates with you? And that's that would be my biggest money lesson. <laughs> here for all the hot takes and uh that's a great (laughs) note to end on where can people follow you after this podcast yeah i'm mostly on twitter you can follow me at nicole casperson i have a podcast as well it is called humans of fintech i have a newsletter it goes out tuesdays and thursdays uh you can find it at workweek.com and then you can just or you can just google wtf in tech question mark and you should see like a little, you know, floating head of me, <laughs> uh, where you can just plug your email and sign up. So, yeah, those are those are the main spots. We'll be there Tuesdays and Thursdays. Nicole, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you, thank you so much for having me. This is so fun. Thank you, Mihente, for joining us this week on Moneda Moves. Before you go, please make sure to hit follow on this podcast so you can receive new episodes right when they are released. You can follow right now in the app you're using to listen to this podcast. Also, continue keeping cuentas and keeping tabs on our Latinx community and money news via our free newsletter written by yours truly at monedamoves.substack.com. That's monedamoves.substack.com. I'll see you there. Hasta la próxima.